church. Good morning. Wow. Wow. I can see all of you. <laughs> the word got out, huh? The word's out. Go to Vertical Church. They're singing and preaching Jesus today. Come on. <laughs> man, it is great to be back here with you, man. I love Sundays. Sundays are our fun days as we come and gather as his church and sing praises to his name and celebrate life change through his son, Jesus Christ. Amen? Amen. All right. That's great. To, glad you agree with me on that. Um, hey, good morning to all of you who are joining us online. We love the fact that we have the technology to do just that. When you're not able to be here with us, that you can still follow along and listen to God's word and let it change your life. If you are new with us, welcome. Welcome to Vertical Church, man. This is, it's awesome to have you with us. You picked an amazing Sunday to come hang with us. So today we're going to watch some people get baptized later on, you know, take their next steps with Jesus. Man, we hope that when you walked in today, you were made to feel welcome. We hope when you walked in, you're like, man, this is a place where I needed to be, and I'll be back next Sunday, all right? That's what we're hoping. We're praying for you. In fact, we were praying for you all week long and this morning that as you were thinking and contemplating, should I go to church, should I go check out Vertical or not? We were praying that you would, and we're so thankful that you listened to those prayers. All right, rock on. Uh, so this morning, we, uh, we are stepping into a new series. It's a two-part series, and the series is titled, as you see in the behind me, it's called Symbols. Uh, we live with symbols all around us in life. Symbols are a part of our everyday life. We have just become so used to them that we don't pay attention to them. They become a part of our walking through, like, oh, yeah, I know what that means, I know what that means. So we don't really think about that. They represent something, but we don't go back to what they represent too often, or they become very um, constant in our life that we don't pay attention. But so as we get into this series, I want to give you a definition of what a symbol is. You can see on the screen over here, symbols. Symbols are a mark or a character that point to and or represent something else. They stand for something greater than themselves. That's the definition, working definition we're going to be working with for the next couple weeks. You know, so this, I think about this, okay, what are some symbols that we walk through in life that we take for granted, that we, you know, we think about or sometimes we don't want to think about? So I have a couple examples of the symbols that we deal with. Maybe you can recognize them. Look at this one right here. Anybody tell me what that symbol is? Power, all right, all right, power, right, that, that means power, it means we either push it to turn on to get power, or we turn it off, we turn the power off, it points to power. Okay, what about this one? What about this one? <laughs> power, <laughs> lots of power, come on. Okay, this symbol <laughs> represents behavior, in my opinion. You know, if you've had a conversation with my wife, Stephanie, in the last few weeks, she has a favorite story she loves to tell these days, and I have seen these lights in my rearview mirror recently as, um, as we're heading up 69 to go visit some friends in Bloomington, and um, yeah, they, he pulled me over. I knew in a heartbeat that it was all me, and uh, I didn't get a speeding ticket, but he almost impounded my car because my license plate was invalid and the registration was messed all up and yeah, I, I almost ended up in prison. Never mind. So anyways, 
Um, so you can see that would have been very embarrassing. But they're symbols, and we recognize them. We're like, okay, snap. That means we either should stop or drive faster. So, you know, we have them in life, right? So we keep on going in Christianity and in church. We also have symbols that we recognize that it ties us to the church. Look at this one right here. We could show that. That how many of you have one of those on your cars? No one wants to raise their hand. <laughs> I don't even know what that is, Rich. That's an ichthys fish. That's an ichthys fish. And in fact, early Christianity, first century, they would draw this in the sand for new followers of Jesus. And then what it signifies that I'm, I'm a follower of Jesus. Watch this, I'm gonna draw it in the sand. Because being a follower of Jesus in the first century was very, very dangerous and outcast. And so you didn't let a lot of people know. And you're like, okay, this is who I am. So I know people who, will, who know what this means. And they will not put this on their car because the previous picture was their life. Like, I don't want people to know I'm driving and I'm a Christian. I guess I didn't show them a really good example. All right. What about this symbol? Please, someone tell me you know what this means, Right? All right, this is a cross. It points to Jesus, plain and simple. You get the point. We understand and have symbols in our lives. And so for the next two weeks, we're going to dig deep into two symbols that Jesus put in place for his church. And that's what we're going to walk through. And, here, and there will be baptism and communion. And so I want to just share this out there. It's going to probably upset you a little bit, but I'm going to share with it anyways. Jesus never asked his disciples to remember his birth. Jesus never asked his disciples to remember his birth. I love Christmas. We celebrate Christmas like crazy around here. Uh, I love everything about Christmas, but Jesus didn't say, hey, you know what? I want you to Write down this day, and I want you to celebrate like crazy. He didn't do that. But Jesus did instruct us to remember his death and resurrection. He did instruct us to remember his death and resurrection. He gave the church two visible symbols. We call them ordinances as a reminders of what he has done, the cost that he paid for our new life. And these ordinances, these symbols represent a great spiritual truth for all of us who have said yes to Jesus Christ. All of us who have said yes to Jesus and no to the world, and we surrendered our lives to him. Two symbols, baptism and communion. Today, we're going to have a conversation about baptism. Next week, when you all come back, we're going to have a conversation, and Pastor Dre is going to lead us through communion. And this morning, later on, we're going to have a privilege to watch someone take their next steps in, with Jesus with baptism as well. Friends, baptism is a big deal here at Vertical Church simply because baptism is a big deal with God. It's a big deal with God. In fact, if you're taking notes, writing something down, maybe you want to write it on your hand, write it on your wife's arm or hand, whatever you want to do, write this down. We should never minimize what God has maximized. As his church, we should never minimize what God has maximized. And as I read through this book, this word of truth, 
This life manual, how God has called his church to live. We should never minimize what he has maximized for us. And that's exactly what God has done with baptism. God has maximized baptism as a very important part of those who said yes to Jesus. And there's one reason, and one reason alone that we teach and baptize people in this church. And that's simply because Jesus commands it. Jesus commands it. He gave his church before ascending off to heaven. He says, this is your marching orders. This is your mission as my followers. And you can see it in Matthew 28, verse 19. He says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them. Look at that right there. It's right there in the word, friends. Baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. We, as a church, have been given a mission to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We're called to go tell people and lead people to Jesus. And when those people we talk to and share the gospel message with, when they accept Jesus Christ, their very next step is to be baptized. So when you hear us encourage you, when you hear me encourage you to take your next step with Jesus with baptism, it's not because I have a personal agenda. It's only because it's my heart and desire to lead you in this church, how Jesus has called me to lead you in this church. And Jesus says, if you have given him your life, you have surrendered your life to him, he is your Lord and Savior you are to be baptized next. Amen. So to get into this conversation this morning, we're going to jump into a, the book of Acts. In the New Testament, it starts off Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, and it turns into Acts. And if, if we're going to watch a story unfold about baptism that should be a catalyst for us as a church to follow. We're going to watch the story of an individual who hears the truth of Jesus Christ and what he has done, and he surrenders his life to him, and he takes that next step in baptism. And as we walk through this conversation this morning, we're going to be answering four questions to frame this idea of baptism, what it means for you, what it means for me, and what it means for Jesus Christ, his church. Are you with me? Yeah. All right, awesome. Open your Bibles, if you would, to Acts chapter 8. Your Bibles are your Bible apps, Acts chapter 8, we're starting at verse 26. Acts was written by a guy named Luke. This is actually Dr. Luke. Luke also wrote another book in the New Testament called The Gospel of Luke. And if you read these two together, one after the other, you'll see that it's another conversation with the same person, what he's talking about. And Acts is kind of like the Acts of the Apostles. It gives the birth of the church, what took place in that process. And it's the persecution of the church. We see all these things going on. And you see how Peter, what he does for Jesus after Jesus ascends to heaven. You see what Paul does, how he lays the foundation for the church after Jesus goes to heaven. And it's an amazing, amazing book. You should read it. You should read your Bibles. It's a pretty amazing book to read, Amen. All right, so here we go. We're jumping in this. Acts chapter 8, verse 26. He says, now the angel of the Lord said to Philip. Now, Philip was a guy who's a follower of Jesus. He's actually, if you look back at Acts chapter 6, he's one of the guys that was full of faith and maybe one of the first deacons who was set up in a church. 
But the angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem down to Gaza. And so Philip started out, and on his way he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians. This man had gone to Jerusalem to worship. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet, which is an Old Testament book. Verse 29 says, the spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And then Philip ran up to the chariot and heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And Philip said, do you understand what you're reading? And the Ethiopian said, "How how can I, he said, unless someone explained it to me. So he invited Philip to come up in the chariot with him to sit and have a conversation. And then it says the passage of scripture that the eunuch was reading, it says this, he was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before the shear is silent, so he did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. Then the unit asked Philip, look at this, tell me, please, who is the prophet talking about, himself or someone else? Then I love this verse. Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture in verse 35. He says, and told him the good news about Jesus. Let me just stop right here. I love that verse. It says, let me read it again. Then Philip began the very passage of scripture that the Ethiopian eunuch was reading and told him the good news about Jesus. I love this verse for one reason. It's a great reminder for me and it's a great reminder for the church. When we're talking to someone about Jesus, man, we need to start where they're at. We gotta start with the questions they're asking. We're gonna start with the things that they're dealing with. So often we walk in a conversation like, man, I'm going I'm to just pick you up and carry you over and put you at the feet of Jesus. There you go. Do it. No, 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 no. When we're speaking to someone about Jesus, we've got to recognize what's going on in their life. Maybe it's a hardship they're dealing with. Maybe a brokenness they're walking through. Maybe something that was a blessing in their lives. Something great happened. And you can start right there. And then you take the whole conversation and you turn to the gospel of Jesus Christ. I love it. We turn him to Jesus because Jesus changes everything. Going on, reading verse 36, it says, They traveled along the road. They came to some water. And the eunuch said, Look, here is water. Genius. Um, he says, What can stand in the way of me being baptized? And he gave the orders, he gave the orders to the chariot to stop. And both Philip and Ethiopian eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized him. Amen. 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 Let's just stop right there. First things first. First question. What is baptism? What is baptism? See, baptism wasn't a new thing in the church. Baptism had been around for a long, long time. It's recorded in multiple ancient religions as an idea of a ceremonial cleansing. They would dig a trench in the ground, and they would fill with water, and they would go down one side and come up the other. And there's this idea of a cleansing would take place, signifying that they were clean. Baptism just kind of changes symbology when it becomes idea of significance of what it means to follow Jesus. 
Some of you may know this already, but the New Testament was originally written in Greek. It's actually Koine Greek. Not, not if you go to Greece right now and they're speaking Greek, that's classic Greek. The Koine Greek has been a dead language for almost 2,000 years. But the New Testament was originally written in Greek. Now, I don't normally do this, but this morning I'm going to teach you some Greek. Now, as I said that, my Greek prof from seminary, who is now in heaven with Jesus, is kind of rolling over like, really, Rich? I talk to them about Greek. He's shaking his head. Because this is what he would say. This is what he'd say all the time in class. He said, for pastors, Greek is like underwear. Everyone should know that you have them, but not everyone should see them. <laughs> he said that, not me. Dr. Decker, it's all you. But he said this for good reason. For good reason. Because if I stood up here every Sunday morning... And I start spouting off this intellectual Greek language like, look at this Greek word, look at this Greek word, look at this Greek word. What am I telling you? I'm telling you that you can't understand the Bible unless you know Greek. And that's not true. That's not true. We can understand the Bible. We just need to read the Bible. There you go again. Read the Bible. But in light of me wanting to have some fun this morning, I'm going to teach you one word. One word in Greek. Our English word for baptism comes from the Greek word baptizo. Baptizo. Sounds really familiar, doesn't it? Baptizo. Say it with me. Say it again. Baptizo literally means to immerse, to plunge, to dip under. And why is this important? Because that's how we baptize around here. We have a tank of water and we plunge, we immerse, we dip under the water. We baptize the same way that Jesus was baptized. As you read the scripture, you can see that he was baptized by immersion. We baptize the same way as, as Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch. Look at back in the scripture, look what it says. It says, both Philip and the eunuch went down into the water, and Philip baptized them. And beginning of the next verse, it says, and when they came up out of the water, indicating there's a significant amount of water, tying back to the very meaning of the word. Every scholar, every pastor or priest that I have talked to in multiple denominations, agree that Jesus was baptized by immersion. Every one of them agree that the Ethiopian was baptized by immersion. In fact, every description in the Bible, everything that was happened when it comes to baptism, they experienced by immersion. No one disputes this. But what they do tell me is over the centuries, traditions entered the church which they allowed other methods of baptism. But if you ask me, I think that's pretty strange. They went with tradition over scripture. Maybe that's what's going on with the church. Big C church. Tradition over scripture. All right, let's try this again. 
Let's look at this again. Baptizo. Say it with me again. What is, what is it? Baptizo. Say it again. Baptizo. Read. What, what, it mean, what does it mean? Ding. You're all Greek scholars. Come on. Come on. Baptism is symbolic to what Jesus did for us and what happens to us when we give our lives to him. It's a symbol that our old life has been buried with Jesus and we've been given a new life. 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, the old you is gone, the new you is here. It symbolizes that. As we, Jesus died and rose again, we too will die and rise again. As we have died to our old self, we've been risen to our new self. That's what baptism represents. It's a beautiful symbol of a life changed by Jesus Christ. So I want to make sure I'm really clear on something this morning. Baptism doesn't save you. Baptism doesn't save you. Only faith in Jesus Christ saves you. Believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Bing. Scripture's real clear. There's nothing special about the water. There's nothing special. It's four branch water. Come on. If you're from four branch, you know. You know. But there's everything special about stepping into a relationship with Jesus. Amen. That leads us to the next question. Why is baptism important? Why is baptism important? Again, it's important for one simple reason. It's a command given to us by Jesus Christ himself. Look back at verse 19, chapter 28 of Matthew. It says, therefore, go make disciples of all nations. Again, baptize in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It's a command given to us by Jesus. And listen, I mentioned earlier, we're never told to celebrate Christmas. I also think it's very interesting that Jesus never tells us to celebrate Easter. But we do. We do because of what they represent to our faith in Christ. But it's not something that Jesus commanded. It's never something Jesus commanded. Yet those times of the year, Christmas and Easter, churches are overflowing with people. But when it comes to baptism, it's a whole different story. And that floors me because I read through the scripture, even read through the book of Acts. We see thousands upon thousands of people give their life to Jesus Christ and they are immediately baptized. Acts chapter 2, go back and read that. Over 3,000 people heard the message of Jesus, accepted it, they believed, and they were baptized. And I think it has something to do with it. There's a verse. There's a verse when it comes to the mission of the church that we kind of skip, we overlook, and we need to go backwards. We're at verse 19. Let's go read verse 18. 
Because that word therefore, remember? That, what is it therefore? We've got to ask that question. It means we need to look back. And verse 18 says, Then Jesus came to them and he said, he said to his disciples, his followers of him, he says, All authority, all authority in heaven and earth has been given to me. All authority rests in Jesus. All authority rests in his name, his power, his strength, his church. And he says, go make disciples and baptize them. But I think what happens, being 2,000 years removed, being living where we're living in this country with amazing freedom, there's no real threat to following Jesus. There's no real threat for us to follow Jesus. Back in the first century, it was tough. Read the book of 1 Peter. They're considered outcasts. To follow Jesus and to get baptized in his name was a quick way to get cut off from family. It was a good way to be asked to leave your village, lose your friends. We don't have that here. Being baptized in the first century was a big deal. So when they said, I am a follower of Jesus, I have given my life to Jesus, they knew what they were stepping into. And with everything they had, they're not carrying the cost. Jesus tells us to count the cost. And no, no, I am following him and I'm going to be baptized. And that is why with the Ethiopian eunuch, when he said, when he saw, when he heard the truth, he stopped and says, what can stand in the way? What can stand in the way of me and being baptized? I want to be all in. I don't want to follow Jesus in my own terms. I want to follow him how he's called me to follow him. What can stop me? And when here's the words. We're going to read some of that scroll of Isaiah that he was reading, an expanded view. Isaiah 53, it says, But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment was brought on us. Peace was on him. By his wounds we are healed. We all, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to our own way, and the Lord has laid on him the iniquity for us all. He was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was like a lamb being led to the slaughter, a sheep before its shears, silent, and so he did not open his mouth. And by oppression and judgment he was taken away. Yet who of this generation was was post-protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people, he was punished. That is all about Jesus. He heard the truth as he read this scripture. It was explained to him by Philip. And he gave his life to Jesus. He said, what can stand in my way? Look, there is water. Let's get this done. I'm not going to be messing around. Right here, right now, I've given him my life. I'm taking my next step in of obedience and baptism. If baptism is a public declaration of our faith in Christ, proclaiming what Jesus has done for us, why wouldn't we want to shout it from the rooftops that say, I follow Jesus? 
Someone say amen. Amen. Listen, friends. We identify ourselves to so many things in life. We tie ourselves to sports teams. We wear jerseys, we wear hats, we buy their coats. We put things in our, on our front lawns about our, about our political positions. And so many people are willing to get into arguments for those things. Fist fights. Separation from family for those we don't agree with us. Because we have taken our stance, what we are proclaiming, of who we are following, of what is important to us. Why would we not want to do that and so much more for Jesus? The one who saved our soul. Jesus died for us. And he simply asked you and me and anyone who surrenders life to him to proclaim this new life. To proclaim the eternity that you have in heaven, not in hell. This life-changing, personal, one-on-one relationship with him by saying, you know what? I'm a follower of Jesus. I'm going to get baptized. And that leads to the third question, is why are some people not baptized? Why are some people not baptized? And I think it breaks down to three major categories. One is lack of truth. The second one is fear. And the third one is defiance. Lack of truth. For most people, it's not knowing what Jesus has called them to do. Or they've been taught something different growing up. This is what I would say to that. When it comes to following Jesus, follow what he says. Do what he says. When we hear the, the word of truth, we follow the word of truth. Many of us, many of us were baptized as a baby. I was. I was baptized as a baby. That was my parents' hope and direction for me to follow Jesus in my, in my life. To follow God. Maybe it was just done on a tradition, that's what you do. You have a baby and you baptize them. I don't know. But what, according to what I read in this book, that doesn't jive. That doesn't jive. Because baptism is an after-faith step. We believe in Jesus. We believe and surrender our lives. Then we are baptized. Listen. I love babies. I think your babies are really cute, and I love giving them back to you when I see them. All right? But babies are unable to believe. They're unable to make that personal decision to follow Jesus. They don't have the cognitive ability to do so yet. We believe. We come to the understanding of who Jesus is, what he has done for us. And we surrender our lives to him. Then we are baptized. 
And every scripture we read states this. Believe and get baptized. Believe and get baptized. And here's the thing. Being rebaptized is absolutely okay. Because I was baptized, again, I was baptized as a baby, but when I came to understanding in 27 that I needed Jesus and I surrendered my life to him, I was baptized again. I had a friend in, in, uh, in PA who gave his life to Jesus, he thought, and when he was a teenager, and then he really realized in college that he never gave his life to Christ, but he was baptized because his dad was a pastor, so, you know, I give my life to Jesus, I get baptized, it's all great, but he never did. So 55 years old, he went back and said, I need to be baptized. Joe Rendell was here at our last baptism service, second service. He popped up. He's like, yo, I need to have a conversation. I'm like, Joe, I just prayed. We're done. And he goes, no, 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 no. You need to understand, I was baptized in private. It wasn't public. No one knew. No one saw. I need to get baptized so my church knows that I'm a follower of Jesus. We said amen, and he got baptized. Lack of truth. The second reason is fear. I've mentioned in the past that fear is a great paralyzer of people. Instead of us using it to push us forward, it becomes a wall in our lives. It's a wall that we feel that we can't scale. Fear is that powerful. And when it comes to baptism, people are afraid of water. People are afraid of getting up in front of a group of people. And people are afraid of getting on the water of being wet in front of others. I have heard them all. And if this is you here this morning and you're not being baptized because of fear, you're letting your fear blind you from the presence of God. You're forgetting that the creator of all things, your creator, is with you, next to you. And as a child of God, he resides in you in his Holy Spirit. When we let fear win, we're letting Satan win. When we let fear win, we let, we let Satan have a victory over our new life in Jesus. Lack of truth, fear, and the third reason is defiance. Defiance. This is just flat out rebellious. We know what we need to do, but we choose not to align our lives to Jesus. But you know what to do, we choose not to align our lives living for Jesus. Or we come to this idea of this personal understanding that Jesus, that baptism Jesus tells us to take is no big deal. We come to understand that's not a priority for us as our walk with Christ. Again, I can't overstate this. We should never minimize what God has maximized. And when we choose to ignore and or contradict God's will for our life, that is flat-out defiance. None of these reasons or any reason we, that we or anyone could come up with is never a valid reason not to follow Jesus, to disobey, dis, disobey him. I love Jesus. I love his word, and sometimes, man... He, we dig into his word and things we have to work through to understand it. But sometimes, Jesus breaks it down like blue clues, right? 
He's really, really clear. Look at this, John chapter 8, 31. He says, if you hold to my teaching, you are really my disciples. Jesus was teaching that we need to be baptized if we're followers of Christ. He says, we are his witnesses. And when we are defiant or disobedient to what God has called us to do, what Jesus tells us to do, what kind of example are we? What kind of witnesses are we to all those who are around us who know that we're followers of Christ? That we follow Jesus only when he agrees with us? What example are we to our children? When we say, we'll just choose to follow Jesus when it's good, when it's easy. If baptism is a command given by God, then we, with big God-like faith, need to take our next step. We are God's family. Friends, we're in this together. We cheer each other on. We do life together. You can't do life alone. So when we take these steps as a church, we celebrate. There's nothing to shy from, nothing to hide from, nothing to forget. When someone comes up and says, I'm a follower of Jesus, I need to be baptized, man. We just raise the roof. And that leads me to the last question. What should I do now? What should I do now? I think it's as simple as one, two, three, and four. Number one, if you have not done it, today is the day that you give your life to Jesus Christ. If you have not done it, today is the day that you step out in great faith and said, I'm surrendering my life to Jesus Christ. Starts there. Believe. Understand who Jesus is and what he has done for you. That he died on a cross for your sin, my sin, our sin. That he conquered the grave three days later and now is residing in heaven with Father. And all we have to do is say, I believe and profess our faith and surrender our lives. Faith is a two-part step. Step one, believe. Two, profess. Make it happen. So number one, give your life to Jesus. Number two, guess what it is? Get baptized. Right? If you have said yes to Jesus, he is the Lord of your life, then it's time for us to be obedient to the one who gave his life for us to have this new life in him. We need to declare, we need to proclaim this new life in Jesus with great celebration that I am all his. Number three, live the life that you professed. Saying we're following Jesus, giving our life to Jesus, taking those next steps could be the easy ones. Now it's time for us to start living that life. Live the life that Jesus has called us to live. Live the life that says you're all in for Jesus Christ, that your life is on fire for Christ. Amen. And number four, go and tell. One, give your life to Jesus. Two, get baptized. 
three, live it on fire for Jesus, and four, go and tell. Go and tell someone about Jesus. Look how this ends. Acts 8, 39 through 40. Look at this on the screen. It says, when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord suddenly took Philip away, and the Ethiopian eunuch did not see him again. What? Philip was transported, Star Trek kind of stuff, right? And he went on his way rejoicing. Philip, however, appeared as Azotus. Azotus. And he traveled about, look at this, he was preaching the gospel in all the towns until he reached Caesarea. He led someone to the Lord, he led someone to Jesus Christ, he went down and he baptized them, and, and God was like, poof! You're over here, and while you're here, guess what you're going to do? You're going to go people about Jesus. Why? We're called to make more and better disciples of Jesus Christ. We lead them to the point where they accept Jesus, then we say, come on, come on, come on, get in that tank. And this is why Luke 15, go back to Luke's original letter, first letter. 15.7, it says, I tell you, in the same way, there were more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents, over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. Church, did you hear that? You want heaven to rejoice. You want to hear a roar from the heaven of Father. Lead people to Jesus. Our righteous acts doesn't make a difference. He's celebrating. He's thankful. He's, he's rejoicing that we are following him. But what makes him pumped? Is when the church goes and tells someone about Jesus Christ. And that person surrenders their life. That is the foundation of the church. Friends, that is the foundation of this church. Go tell someone about Jesus. The mission doesn't stop because you led someone to Christ. The mission doesn't stop because someone took their next step in baptism. The mission doesn't stop that Jesus comes back. And tells us our work is done. Or he calls us home. And he says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Never, ever, ever minimize what God has maximized. And this morning, we have an awesome opportunity to watch a couple individuals who have given their life to Jesus Christ. He is their Lord and Savior. And this morning we're going to watch them take the next step. Amen. Come on out. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your truth. Thank you for keeping it simple, God. That we are to follow you with all of our hearts. Surrender our lives to you wholly, fully, believing in who Jesus is and what he has done for our lives. 
and we have this opportunity to be baptized in your name, to publicly proclaim our faith in Christ. God, thank you for the two young ladies this morning who are going to do just that. We celebrate that. We celebrate what you're doing in their lives. God, don't stop. We praise you for what you're doing and what you're going to do. And this morning, it has nothing to do about us, but it has everything to do about you. We love you. We worship you. In your son's name, amen. You guys stand up with us, please.